Welcome to the podcast Leadership Forum, conversation with leaders who serve the public good. My name is Trevor Brown, and I'm privileged to serve as the Dean of the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University, where we aspire to fulfill a simple phrase that Senator John Glenn used to describe what we do, inspire citizenship and develop leadership. I also have the honor of serving as the host of this conversation series. So welcome to a thoughtful and reflective conversation about leadership and public service. I'm joined today by Lee Anderson, the Executive Director of Cleveland's Police Accountability Team. After launching her criminal justice career in Washington, D.C., she's gone local, having served in a variety of police accountability roles in Chicago, Illinois, Ferguson, Missouri, and Oakland, California, all major cities whose police departments are involved in consent decrees with the U.S. Department of Justice. Her work on police accountability is informed by her extensive educational experience, having received a bachelor's degree of administration of justice from Howard University, a master's of public administration with a focus on inspection and oversight from the John Jay College in New York, and a PhD in public policy and management from the Glenn College. At the same time that she has served as a practitioner, she has also served as a faculty member at Chicago State University, Southern Illinois University, and now at Cleveland State University. Lee, thank you for joining me today to talk about police accountability and managing and leading in a complicated stakeholder environment. Thank you so much, Trevor. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's let's start with some scene setting. I, I want to give our audience some background on the kind of work that, that you do. Tell us what is a consent degree and why is the city of Cleveland's police department under one with the U.S. Department of Justice? Was there a specific event that sparked the degree or a series of events and sort of past practices? Yes. So um, I can honestly say all of that, right? So <laughs> we um, we see consent decrees really come up in, in 1994 when Congress passed the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act underneath President uh, Bill Clinton. And it really depends on, you know, uh, politics, right? So which party, I will say, is in the executive branch. So for example, under President Trump, we saw no new consent decrees come about. Under President Obama, there were over 10 consent decrees <laughs> that, that started. And so we really start to see sort of how each party takes this area of police accountability and police misconduct and what they do about it to use the systems that are in place. So in Cleveland, there were two primary incidents that happened. There's an incident where um, two individuals were on a chase and pursued and the officers fired 137 shots into their car, killing them. And there was also the death of Tamir Rice in November of 2014. And unfortunately, um, lost his life. And so one of the things that the Department of Justice did was they launched a pattern or practice investigation into the Cleveland Police Department. And what this looks for is excessive use of force, anything in biased policing, um, instances where civil rights have been violated by citizens or um uh, by officers for citizens, excuse me. And so where we see the consent decree come out of is birth in 2015, right? And so essentially the Department of Justice sued the city of Cleveland and said, hey, you all are violating federal laws and you need to get this in order. City of Cleveland entered into the settlement agreement, which we also call the consent decree, 
um, and in 2015, and it laid out eight areas. And of those areas, we have bias-free policing, like I said, use of force, crisis intervention, um, search and seizure, and accountability. These areas where the Department of Justice outlined um, spaces where the department really needed to structurally change and have this organizational makeover. And so the city agreed to it and they have since been in consent decree uh, for about eight and a half years now. So paint, paint the broader landscape and thank you for starting where you did in terms of the difference between the two most recent presidential administrations prior to the Biden administration. So you said there were 10 under Obama and, and zero under Trump. Yeah. Um, well, there how, were over 10. I'm sorry. Okay, um, over 10. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was going to be my question is how how common are these and is is Cleveland's situation unique um, or if this is more of a, a sort of national phenomenon about uh, police accountability, what's what's driving the 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 use of consent decrees? That's a great question. I think that, you know, it honestly depends on who you ask. Right. So those that are for consent decrees really state that it is something that transforms police departments, that it is something that the community can rely on to say, look, we don't have to protest every day. This consent decree is in, is in place. We have a federal judge and a federal monitor that are overseeing and we have DOJ that is there to really call out balls and strikes when things happen. Um, and then we have people that say it's a money making industry. Right. And so you have federal monitors that um, are making millions of dollars to to really um, come in and oversee these uh, police departments that that are underneath consent decrees. And so there's some angst there. Right. That. And so in 2021, um, um, Attorney General Gupta put out a memo that was supposed to really rein in all of these different issues that the that were happening across the board, right? So putting a cap on monitoring fees, making mm -hmm. sure that um, you know there were targets that were hit across the board because right now a lot of the the assessments are subjective. They're from monitoring team to monitoring team, city to city, right? And so what might be a sufficient in Cleveland may not have been sufficient in, in Detroit, right? So Detroit came out of, they were under consent decree for 13 years. They came out of their consent decree. Um, LA was under consent decree for 11 years. They came out, DC, right? And now we're seeing cities such as New Orleans um, that are still underneath consent decrees as well as Cleveland, Ferguson, um, still underneath the consent decree. Seattle has just recently been released. And so there are ebbs and flows in this process towards progress, but there aren't any hardcore standards, right? So you can't say, hey, I want 100% non-use of force, right? That just won't happen because police officers move into spaces where they have to use force. So there are these subjective stances on what meets the requirements for coming out of the consent decree. And so that is one of the issues that we have sort of across the board. And so Cleveland is not in a unique situation. I think that's a great question, right? So we have other counterparts that are struggling through consent decrees. Um, and, and Cleveland is making considerable progress since the police accountability team has come on. I think that their partners are really, really um, special towards this process. 
right? We have internal and external partners, um, including the community, including the compliance bureau within the division that are helping to move the city forward. Um, but it's tough. It's really tough to, to move through a consent decree. Um, it takes years. You have turnover. You have people that say that consent decrees are lowering police morale um, and police officers are leaving, which leads to a recruitment and hiring issues, which then leads to training issues, right? And so all of these things are seemingly connected and we're trying to move through, trying to figure out where we can slice things apart, but not operate within a silo. So we're, we're going to break a lot of that up apart here in the next 20 minutes or so. But let, let's start by um, talk to us about your specific team and your specific charge. So you you run the, the police accountability team for the city of Cleveland. What What is it? What authorities does it have? Um, you know, what, what what ability to influence policing do you have in this role? Sure. So I... I am in a unique position. Um, so as the executive director of the police accountability team, I make sure that the city of Cleveland and its counterparts, and I will explain what I mean by counterparts very briefly, are all in compliance with the federal consent decree. Now, one of the things that we have to understand is that the consent decree um, has over 400 paragraphs. And so I have an inspector general background. Um, my master's is in, it's a public administration degree, but it has an inspector general oversight focus. And so with that, one of the things that I decided to do was in addition to hiring an attorney that would be completely focused on the consent decree and what goes into it um, and arguing our side the federal court that we've made progress when it's time for status hearings was performance auditors. And what the performance auditors have done are we go into the consent decree and we push down um, what each of the tasks are. So we broke it down. There are over 1,000 tasks that need yeah, to pause, be pause for Pause for one second. So you said there are 400 paragraphs. Yes. So are, and, and then now there are 1,000 tasks. So within each of those paragraphs could be multiple tasks. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. And for example, one of the and and we talk about, I think, you know, I talked about this a little bit before in terms of measuring compliance, right? So one of the tasks uh is that officers must know their geographic area, right? And so it's like, how do you measure that, right? Is it the amount of time that they take to get to a scene or a mm -hmm. call? Is it do you do ride-alongs with them and you quiz them? right? What streets are here? Um, how fast do you get here? Um, so what we're doing is we're breaking the consent decree down. We're assigning those tasks and then we're moving forward to see what constitutes compliance in each of those tasks. How can we demonstrate, yes, we've hit this mark, right? And so it's also about not just checking those boxes, but making systemic change. And both have to happen at the same time. Right, because you can't make the systemic change without going through the separate task. Well, you're not supposed to go through the separate task without making sure that systemic and organizational change happens. And I say not supposed to because a lot of people will come in and say, well, consent decrees, the cities just want to check the boxes. Right. right? right. The idea here is that we have to check the boxes. 
right, in order to demonstrate compliance. But we're also involved in making sure that this leads to a cultural change within the department, which can be seen and reflected in the community. So the police accountability team is very involved with the, we report directly to the mayor, but we work very closely with the chief ethics officer, as well as the director of law. And in these positions, we also collaborate very, very heavily with the police chief, the head, the administrator for the Office of Professional Standards, the new Community Police Commission, the uh, Community Police Review Board, right? And so these are independent entities. The Community Police Commission and the Community Police Review Board are all independent entities, but they are still named underneath the federal consent decree. So mm-hmm. even though our, so it's, it's very, um, it's a very interesting <laughs> dynamic because even though the police accountability team or the PAT, I'll just call it the PAT, works underneath the mayor's office, right? You also have these independent entities that you have to help them achieve compliance as well and make sure that they're on on task. And so, but they're not underneath the purview of the city. So it gets very tricky um, to try to figure this out, but the police accountability team has made great strides in really establishing strong relationships with these parties, establishing strong relationships with their administrators, with their directors and and their members to really express we're here to help. But first and foremost, we're here to make sure that the, the parts of the consent decree that are important to you are fulfilled. So and just, so- mm-hmm. Just to summarize, because this is crazy complicated, yeah. So the, the court drives the consent decree, yes. right? They're the ones who you have to demonstrate compliance to, but you are hired by the mayor. Yes. You report to the mayor. Yes. And your job is to both influence the the a, another entity that reports to him, sort of, the police department, but then all these other entities that don't directly report to him, and yet yes. they fall under the consent decree and the court is looking for you to make systemic change there as well. That's it. Oh, wow. Okay, so yeah. within that complicated stakeholder environment, what what is your, we'll get into the, like, how do you manage stakeholders, but what's your sort of general approach to sort of leading and managing in this, this space? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. I use the consent decree, everything within the four corners of the consent decree, right? So I say, if it's not in the consent decree, Mm -hmm. the PAT doesn't touch it, right? And so, but what this leads to is issues where we find ourselves involved in um, possibly conversations with human resources, Mm -hmm. possibly conversations with public health, conversations, you know, with community development, community relations, and all the other entities that sit with the cabinet um, or sit in the cabinet for the mayor, right? Because people think that, oh my goodness, the the city of Cleveland's police department or their division of police was sued by and are under a consent decree. And that's incorrect, right? The city of Cleveland is under the right. consent decree. Yep. It's the United States versus the city of Cleveland. And so we're all in this together. And what we see is that in the 400 paragraphs, there are portions of the consent decree which implicate different areas. So for example, dispatchers, um, discipline, 
It has to do with, right, discipline also goes through human resources. So we have to make sure that, that those ties are connected. Um, we have um, individuals that, you know, that may not contribute to what they're supposed to be doing in their day-to-day -day duties, right? And that might affect the consent decree directly. So we've seen incidences where, you know, people were supposed to produce certain reports. They did not produce those reports and we got a downgrade as a result of that. And so now the public um, is looking for um, the police accountability team to really intervene in that space and say, okay, well, we understand there are issues here, but we also have this federal mandate that we have to abide by. So human resources, you have to deal with this issue. So you're, you're, you've sort of answered my question, but I want to ask it anyway, which is, so you got all these different entities that fall under the blanket of the, of, of the consent decree. And you said, we're all in this together, yeah. but I'm guessing everybody's got different goals and different definitions of success within that. Is that a fair statement? Very fair. So um, how how do true. you how do you get them aligned other than just saying, hey, we're all in this together? What are your strategies for trying to get people to row in the same direction under this this federal mandate? Yeah, again, right, the consent decree. I'm constantly printing out paragraphs, going to meetings, right? saying, look, we're mandated to do X, Y, and Z. This directly implicates or directly is connected to your section, you know, your um, division, your department. And this is how we need to move through this, right? And so when I first came into this job, it's like, oh yeah, compliance with the consent decree. I've worked on monitoring teams before, Inspector General with Inspector Generals that have worked with cities that have been underneath consent decrees. So, you know, part of this is, oh my goodness, you just move into the space and you look and see what tasks need to be done and you execute those tasks. Well, no, there's an underbrush here. Right. And so each task is connected to a person, a situation, a policy, a training um, module or multiple training modules that need to happen and also implementation. So the three areas that are important in the consent decree, which I think are important to mention, is that um, for each area in the consent decree, you have to and there, there are more areas than the eight. Um, so so you have eight overall themes. But within those, you have separate portions. And one of the things that we have to recognize is that as we move in, each area needs a policy. Then you have to train on the policy. And then there's an assessment or an audit process, right? And so once those three areas are done, then we can go to the court and say, hey, can we move into substantial compliance, which means you move that area into a two-year sustainability period. And once you keep your numbers um, pretty much static or they go up, right, better not decreasing or you'll be removed out of the substantial uh, so, uh, sustainability period, um, you can be released from the consent decree. So one of the areas that we have that is closest to that area is a crisis intervention. The division is knocking it out of the park with crisis intervention, right? The officers have been trained. 
they're showing up. We just had an award ceremony for officers that were involved in crisis intervention. Um, and so, but that is completely tied to public health. It is completely tied to areas of community organizations that are completely interested and very much involved in the process of making sure that police officers actually, here we go, don't respond to crisis instances, right? And so we have to work with the community to see that, oh my goodness, this is not in the consent decree, right? The care response and co-responder models that are coming up in the community, but we have to move forward with, with that place. So I kind of went off no, 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 this is good yeah. because you've taken me into it. Just thinking about sort of general approaches to getting people to follow when you don't have, you yourself don't, you're not their boss. You you have, and I'm going to oversimplify, but, but it sounds yeah. as if I'm hearing on the one hand, you have the power of the law to try and compel behavior. Like, hey, here are the, here are the areas where we need to come into compliance. If we don't come into compliance, bad things happen. But you've also mentioned that this is an effort around systemic change, and there's a lot of focus on implementation. And, and I could imagine that you can also appeal to people on the sense of, well, don't you want this process to work better? And, yeah. and what the consent decree has done is shown a light on, here's some stuff we could be doing better. So sure, we could comply, but more importantly, we need to fix this process to make it deliver better value for our constituents. And, and I'm curious, like, how do you balance, like, when do you decide, oh, I'm pulling out the, hey, there's this court that's going to come in and do and do stuff to us that we don't want, you know, they're going to take over stuff versus, you know, let's, this is just good practice and we need to, we need to do this to be better. How, how do you, and maybe you do both simultaneously. I'm just yes. curious how that, how that works in your mind. Yes. So definitely both simultaneously. I think that one of the things, though, when I first enter into a space where someone is not even familiar with the consent decree, yeah. I have to bring bring the paragraphs right and say, actually, you're in this as well. Right. <laughs> so welcome. Right. Yep. And so that is is where we start with these are the parameters. Right. Because, like I said, the 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 police accountability team works within the four corners of the consent decree and that's it, right? We, we if there are issues that lead up to making change in the consent decree to make sure that we're in compliance, we will slightly be involved in that process just to move it along, right? right? And so, but part of this has to do with, you're exactly right. How do we encourage people to say, this is worth it? Because, you know, one of the things that, um, is very, very real is that consent decrees take a long time and yep. people get tired, Yeah, you know, and, and you are constantly under scrutiny from not just the, the federal monitor, but also the department of justice that is there watching and monitoring as well. Um, and then you have a federal judge that decides whether or not you're in compliance or not. And so it gets, it gets heavy. It gets real heavy for us. Um, and having to explain that, right, that you have this federal mandate, but we also want to change culturally, yep. right? Um, and then on top of that, you also having to motivate people to say, stay in this with me. Yeah. 
So that's that's another thing you mentioned earlier. I'm curious. I just want to, we're painting a very complex landscape here. You have a hard job. Um, so, you know, you mentioned in other cities, this has gone on for almost a decade, eight years in one place, 11 in another, 13 in another. So you said just a moment ago, people get tired. I also imagine it's different people, right? Like it, yes. it, it, you, you might have turnover in some of these areas. Um, and does the judge turn over at some point too? Like, do you ever have that instance where you're dealing with a different judge over the course of a consent decree? So that can happen. Um, what also can happen is, so we we have um, one judge now um, that, that has been there. Um, and then we have, um, but, but the city of Cleveland has had uh, over three, maybe four lead monitors. Wow. And we just seated a new monitoring team or selected a new monitoring team um, about four or five months ago. Um, and so may maybe a little bit longer. But the, the point that I'm trying to make is that change happens at the Department of Justice. It happens with the monitoring team and it happens with the city, the entity that is underneath the consent decree, right? And so when you look at longevity of ideas, when you look at continuity, um, yeah. it's tough. Yeah, It's really tough. So let, let's let's make it even tougher. So you, you, yeah. you, you've laid out all these numbers. There's the four corners of the consent decree. There are the eight themes. There's the 400 paragraphs. There's a thousand tasks. How do you prioritize? How do you decide what, to, if, given that this is a long time, you know, five to 10 or more years, how do you decide what to tackle when? Is that literally prescribed in the consent decree or do you have to go through the exercise of working with all these stakeholders to decide we're going to handle this one now and then we're going to move to this one later? Part of this has to do with really moving forward with time management with what's important to the community, with what's important to stakeholders. We have to really look at the fact that we have search and seizure, crisis intervention, and use of force, which are the three areas that are closest to general compliance. And in that space, we have these three areas that we feel are the most prominent because they are how we got into this situation in the first mm -hmm. place, yep. right? So there, there's a prioritization there. But then there's a prioritization for bias-free policing, right? That training to make sure that procedural justice is happening on the streets, to make sure that everyone is being treated fairly, right? We also look at accountability, make sure internal affairs is operating the way that it should. The Office of Professional Standards, which takes office um, officer complaints, is operating the way that it should. So one of the things that my team is doing is we are splitting up the eight areas and we are moving forward with executing community and problem-oriented policing right which is the area that we got hit very hard on in the 13th semi-annual report but one of the things that the team has done right and so this is where it gets even trickier so i hope everybody's ready um the department of justice sued the city of cleveland we are also receiving technical assistance from the department of justice to help us achieve compliance with the consent decree in the area of community and problem-oriented policing and recruitment and hiring. And we are doing that through the what's called the CRITAC. Um, and the CRITAC is the Collaborative Reform Initiative Technical Assistance Center through the Department of Justice. 
through the COPS office, the Community Oriented um, Policing Services Office. And so one area of Department of Justice has sued the city and is looking for and monitoring compliance, whereas the other portion of the Department of Justice is helping us reach that compliance and providing technical assistance. So this gets even trickier <laughs> because yep. we have even more stakeholders that have now joined the process. So we, this is this is a crazy complicated environment. And as we, we pull this conversation to a close, you mentioned spinning plates before and you know, we're all in a world, obviously, where some some failure must be tolerated, um, yeah. and you're you're going to drop some plates. But even when those plates are spinning, that's going to make you dizzy, right? Yes. So so how how do you, as a leader um, in this space, maintain your own energy and and enthusiasm and your your focus and your commitment to the goal? That's just a lot of complexity in a super dynamic environment. I imagine you would get tired too. Yeah. How how do you keep yourself going? That's a great question. Um, Self-care. So I put myself first and I tell my team to put themselves first. Um, you know, when when things happen that. That involve police misconduct and people uh, protest and they go out in the street and, you know, they really express their anger right? Um, but then that dies down and people go home, right? Yeah. But in this job, we technically don't go home. We're still moving forward to make sure that police misconduct is eradicated, right? And that we're not seeing violations of civil rights, that we're seeing where the community and the police are aligned and understanding that they want the same thing, right? Both don't want crime, right? Um, they both want to, to really be in a space to get along. Um, I truly believe that. I've heard that from officers in the city of Cleveland. I've heard that from community members. Um, and then there are some community members that don't believe it, right? There are some officers that, that have low morale because of this. They feel scrutinized, right? And so there are a plethora of feelings about this process. Um, and so my goal is to not really digest that mentally, emotionally, right? But to take it in professionally yeah. um, and then just have separations there, right? And also I'm big on work-life balance, right? So this is a field where you're constantly thinking about the solutions. It never stops. When you're out in the community, when you're driving with your family and you see a police officer, um, when you are in the grocery store and, and you see a friend, right, that says, hey, I got a ticket the other day. And the first thing you think was, you know, uh, did procedural justice happen? Did, you know, um, and so it, it never leaves your mind. And so with that, I tell my team, take it easy, right? Um, invest in your family, invest in yourself emotionally, mentally, and physically, um, because professionally, we have a lot on our shoulders. And it's important for us to show up ready for the community and the police officers and all these different internal and external stakeholders to really get the job done within the four corners of the consent decree and really balancing not just the spinning plates, but also these these varying relationships. Yep. Well, Lee, um, there's there's no question, as I said earlier, but you you have a very hard job and and one that requires a tremendous amount of attention and scrutiny. 
Uh, but uh, I am I I marvel at your ability to stay stay focused and and goal goal directed. So thank, thank you. you on behalf of citizens of large urban areas like like Cleveland and here in Columbus for the good work you're doing to ensure that policing is operating at the highest level and ensuring procedural justice. So thank you for for that and thank you for this conversation. Thank you. It was my pleasure.